Well, the first thing that I want to do is put my shoes on. This is uh, for John Roberts and, um, and for Libby Riggs. Um, uh, they want me to be in pain. So um, there you are, uh, in pain. Um, the second thing that I want to do is mention uh, this John Rosemond thing that's on your tables. Um, guys, uh, I, I have been reading John Rosemond for years. I mean, he is, uh, he's been around for years, and he's just uh, quite, I mean, it, well, depending on your perspective, uh, quite a real unique approach to parenting and parenthood and kids and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of what, what he has said I have brought to the pulpit. I mean, he's just a, he's just a sane voice in the whole business of parenting, which is so complex. It's just so difficult, is it not, um, raising kids? It was hard when we did it, but it's much harder now that you're doing it. It's just hard. So <clears throat> I hope you won't miss that. This is a week from Saturday. Um, it's 10 bucks uh, ahead. And um, if you've got grandchildren or children, or <laughs> just, I just hope you'll take note of that. And it's only the morning. It's like 9 to 1230 or something like that. It's only the morning. It's not the whole day. So that might entice some of you. Okay, guys, I need to explain myself and, um, uh, and give you some kind of uh, word of introduction before we get going. Uh, as I'm sure you all recall, um, we just completed a study of Romans 14 in the fall. <clears throat> and I, I know that you remember every word uh, of that most excellent series on uh, Romans 14. And I do indeed uh, have intentions, if the Lord allows, uh, to finish the book of Romans. But the, the next two chapters of Romans, 15 and 16, we're going to be able to move fairly rapidly through 15 and 16 because a lot of them are just greetings and salutations. I mean, I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on explaining names that he says goodbye to. So we'll be able to move pretty fast through 15 and 16. And, and I think we could very easily get through two chapters in, uh, in a year's time, in a, you know, a fall to... <laughs> guys, that's fast, guys. Uh, in, you know what I mean. We could, we, that won't be a problem. <clears throat> but as you may recall, um, the subject matter of chapter 14 is something, at least for me, is... Um, well, um, it's, just, it's just important stuff. Um, in, in, in a lot of ways... It addresses the ultimate pastoral problem um, because it has to do with the whole issue. It, I mean, Romans 14 did. Uh, the whole issue of um, the so-called strong Christian versus the so-called weak Christian. And the, 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 the battle that goes on between those two, um, coming from one side, it's, it tends to be legalism. From the other side, it tends to be antinomianism. That is, the, the stronger saying, oh, don't worry about any of that stuff. You just, uh, just love Jesus, and that's all that matters. And, you know, um, um, that, that's antinomian. And then on the other side, you've got, no, there's, this, there's these laws that we must observe. And, uh, you know, uh, on and on and on it goes. So it's the legalist and then the, and the antinomian always battling it out. Now, um, but the thing that I think is that is... Um, really germane among us, particularly in the South, particularly as evangelicals in the South, is not so much the problem of antinomianism, 
that is, no law, no rules, no nothing. If you were from New York, uh, maybe uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're attending a church in New York, then maybe the issue is antinomianism. But in the South, ladies and gentlemen, the issue does not tend to be antinomianism. The, tish, the, the issues tend to be legalism. That is, um, uh, the, the error of the, uh, the Pacific Northwest uh, Christian church is the error of antinomianism. But the error of the, of the Christian church in the South is the error of legalism, um, uh, which, in, in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, well, it, actually, I'm not alone. Chuck Swindoll said that legalism sucks the life out of the Christian. And I, and I, I couldn't agree more. So the issues that, that we're going to address are issues that really were spawned first in Romans 14. That's, that's what he was dealing with there, the, the legalist and, the, and, and, and how these Christians are supposed to get along and, and uh, you know, their legal tendencies, you can't drink that and you don't eat that and this day is holy, all that stuff. But what I want to do is go further, much further, much further. Um, and, and it's going to be skewed towards the legalistic end of the spectrum because that's the, that's the problem in the South. It's the, if you can remember the, the story of the prodigal son, you've got the, the, the one son that goes off to uh, the faraway country and lives it up by, you know, wine, women, and song. And then you've got the other son that's home saying, I did everything right now, father. You owe me. Well, that's the, that's the uh, you got the antinomian over here, the, the prodigal son, who ultimately comes to understand the gospel. But the elder brother, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the one that stayed behind, he, was, he never quite got it. And the, and the parable, as you may recall, concludes with there just being this fight between the father and the, and the elder brother. Because the legalism in him prevented him from understanding the heart, the, the heart of the father. What I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that legalism is a deadly thing. A deadly thing. And we're going to talk about it a lot through this semester, this winter-spring thing. Um, and we're going to do it not out of Romans 14, where you get Paul's input, and he has it, in a lot of other places, as well as Romans 14. But I want to take you to a place where Jesus deals with it. It's in Mark chapter 7. And the, the biblical foundation of our, of our study together in this spring and winter, or winter and spring, is going to be Mark chapter 7. Um, I, I have one, I know of one commentarian who calls Mark chapter 7 well nigh the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. Now, you didn't know that, did you? I mean, when you started thinking about some revolutionary passages in the New Testament, you don't think about Mark chapter 7, now do you? Well, you'll see, and um, um, we're not going to do the whole chapter even. I mean, we'll be lucky if we get through the 23 verses of, of Mark chapter 7. But I want to read it to you as we begin tonight. I want to read you the first 23 verses, and I won't, read, I won't do that again. On another Wednesday night, we'll just come back and, and work um, our way, really kind of dealing with it as a whole. Maybe not going verse by verse and word by word, but dealing with the, the whole message of Mark chapter 7. But before I read it, I want to tell you something. 
And I want to I see if you can spot it as I read it. Because there is something mentioned in Mark chapter 7 that is mentioned nowhere else in the Bible. There is something in Mark 7 that you will not find any other place. See if you can find it as, as I read. I'm just going to read the, the 23 verses. But this is going to be the biblical foundation on which we build our discussions for the next few, well, for the next couple of months. So let me read it, <clears throat> beginning at verse 1, Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Can I pause just long enough to say there's very few words that a Christian hates more than that one. Call me anything, but don't call me a hypocrite. We're going to look a lot at the, at the whole term of hip, hypocrites, which is the Greek word, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Guys, uh, one of the, let, let me point this out first of all. The thing that's in here that's found no place else in the Bible is, is found um, in verse 11. It's this word korban. You can find that no place else in the Bible. Um, that's something that Jesus addresses here. And uh, interestingly, at least for me, <clears throat> Um, he's dealing with a bunch, he's dealing with a whole group of legalists. And, um, 
Then he goes on to define, in essence, the gospel in verses 14 through 23, talking about this difference between within and without. Here's my point, that, that just one, the first observation out of Mark chapter 7. What Jesus says in reply to legalism is by explaining the gospel. What, what I'm saying is that legalism is an attack, is in a frontal assault upon grace. So it's not just an academic exercise in which we find ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, so that we can, you know, we can make sure that we don't ever you know, fall into a legal. What's at stake here, in essence, is the gospel. Uh, because legalism is, in essence, an assault upon the gospel. And what this Corban thing is, is just an illustration. It's an illustration of the tendency and the lifestyle and the, and the trend and the, and the, and the movement of a, of a legalist, how they think, what they do, what, uh, what, how they reason. And, um, and then he goes on to say, having said that about you as a legalist, now let me tell you something. Don't you understand this? Don't you understand that nothing from the outside can defile you? Don't you understand that the gospel is not something from the outside in? It's something from the inside out. And that's what these verses from 14 to 23 are about. We'll get to those later. But first, he takes on an audience that is that by their emphases assault the gospel. So guys, this is not, not at least for me, it's not just an exercise in uh, finding something that might interest you on Wednesday nights. It's a um, it's a, what, I, what my real goal is, is not really so much to attack a, a legalism as it is to establish the gospel. It's to establish grace. It's to make sure that you understand the beauties of grace. You know, of course, um, um, one of the things that maybe you've heard me say before is that, you know, legalism has a tendency to, to um, rob everyone of their freedoms. We talked about that much in, in Romans 14. And, uh, and I'm not here tonight to talk about freedom. You know, our freedoms in Jesus. You know, that's a beautiful thing to me. I'd love to write a book about it. In fact, I started writing a book about this whole Corban thing. I was going to name it Corban. And, and um, I, I was so bad at it, at writing a book, um, that I just gave up. But th- th- this is something that, that, um, that is very critical, ladies and gentlemen, because if you, if you err, if you go too far away from the beauty of the gospel, you end up either an antinomian or a legalist. And in the South, it's normally legalism. And I'm telling you, it sucks the life out of, it, out of, out of the gospel. And, and I'm going I'm to show you that I'm not the only one that's saying that when, as I close tonight. But concerning this issue of freedom, I just wanted to read you something from Thomas Paine, who was, of course, the American revolutionary patriot who wrote Common Sense and but he said this, <clears throat> this is just a couple of sentences. He says, what, what we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Now, of course, Thomas Paine is talking about political and national freedom there. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that there is a freedom that the Christian church oftentimes gives up, gives up way too simply, way too easily, way too quickly, way too hurriedly. 
and replaces it with something that is an assault upon the gospel. So when you talk about freedoms, we're not simply trying to promote more wine drinking. We're talking about something that that nips at the heels of the vitals of grace. So, we're going to spend some time on it, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to try to damn it in every way I can damn it. That is legalism. And, and not so much to, to win an argument, but to promote the gospel. The gospel that is far, it's far better news than we ever dreamed, ladies and gentlemen. You know, um, uh, I think it was Ed Clowney that first said this, that we're far more wicked than we ever dreamed. But we're far more loved than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, and somewhere, somewhere, somehow, people have gotten the notion that the, the way you go to heaven is to be a good person, that the only people who get to heaven are the good people. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an assault on the gospel, and it is spawned by legalism. Because what it says is, do certain things, and you'll just be fine. Keep the code. Keep the law. Stay within the lines, and, and, and you're going to be fine. So, uh, all, I hope you hear me saying, all I'm trying to do is, is promote grace. That's my goal. My penultimate goal is to attack legalism. But to establish grace, we attack legalism. Now, there's not a whole lot I can do tonight, but I'm going to do a little. And uh, because we got to, and very frankly, <laughs> Uh, this is kind of tacky of me to say. That's never stopped me in the past. Um, if you um, if you miss tonight, you kind of miss a big piece of the whole thing. I mean, so see how fortunate you are, because because this is really um, um, one of these days the church is going to buy me one of these things that work. Um, just a joke. Um, okay, there are the word legalism, ladies and gentlemen, can be used in two different ways. Okay, And that's part of the confusion. There is a way that is represented by the Pharisee um, that Jesus is talking about uh, in Mark chapter 7. There is a legalism that promotes an, an approach to God that says the way to be saved or the, the way that you enter heaven is by your efforts at law obedience. That is, um, the, the, the gospel they preach is a gospel that is simply says, just like the, the New Testament Pharisee, if you're a good boy and you work hard and you obey all the right rules, you can be saved. It is a gospel of pure law obedience, law works. It is, it's, a, it's a gospel that says this is the way you get saved. So it's a distortion of the doctrine of justification. Now, guys, if, if, the, if these words are new to you, justification, and we'll get to the word sanctification in just a minute, but justification is just the doctrine that summarizes the heart of the gospel. But there is a way to be a legalist that overturns justification. Um, and it's, by the way, it's still the position of Judaism today. 
um, Judaism still believes that through the Holocaust and the Midrash and, the, and the, all those Mishnah things, that if you obey them, um, you're going to be fine. I mean, ultimately, when you stand before God, you can say, <laughs> well, let me just pull this out here for you, God, and let me just show you my, um, my performance. By the way, I think I've told you this story before, and in fact, I know I have, but if you haven't heard it, this is, this is just fascinating. I mean, I saw it a year and a half ago, last October, not this past, but the last October, in, in the hotel. I, I was a Sheridan that we stayed in in, in Jerusalem, and um, um, it's a nice place, and, and they have four elevators. Four elevators, and um, on, <clears throat> at sunset on Friday, two of those elevators get programmed... I mean, this happened 14 months ago. They're still doing it. I mean, it's happening right now. They programmed two of these elevators, and I think there were like 23 stories in this Sheridan. And two of these elevators are programmed to stop at every floor. They're called Shabbat elevators. And if you're a Gentile and you're visiting and you go into the lobby, you don't want to get on one of the Shabbat. If you're staying on floor 18, you don't want to get on a Shabbat elevator because it stops at every floor. Now, the other two are designated, you know, for the, us pagans that want to go straight on up to, you know, floor 18. But you know the, the, the reasoning behind the Shabbat elevator. It is that there, you know, you've heard that there's all these laws that were spawned about Sabbath observance. And, you know, there were 647 little things about how to, you know, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they came up with all these 637 little rules as to what work consisted of and what work didn't consist of. Well, in the mind of the Jew, taking my index finger and hitting number 18 in the elevator comprised work. Thus, it was a violation of the Sabbath. Therefore... A, a, a very punctilious Jew could get himself on the Shabbat elevator, ultimately make it up to the 18th floor after a while, but could step off the elevator in the full consciousness that he had not violated the law, the, the, the Sabbath law. At least then. That's legalism, ladies and gentlemen. That's, um, I mean, there's just, by the way, I, I do want to show you this. He gives you an example, and we're, we're going to come back to this example on numerous occasions, but I, I want you to just notice in verse 13. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and this last sentence, and many such things you do. Ladies and gentlemen, for every Shabbat elevator, there are another 500 Shabbat elevators. I mean, uh, examples. Because not only do you have Shabbat elevators, says Jesus, but you got a whole lot of that stuff. Many such things you do. Isn't that absurd? Yeah. Oh, but you got all kinds of absurdities in that, in that system of yours. You're a legalist, and you think you're going to obey yourself into the kingdom? Ah, we got this one. But you got many whacked up ideas about what true religion is. That, that's just, just one of the examples. Now, so there is a way to use 
illegal. If I was talking about Judaism, I would say Judaism is guilty of legalism. A legalism that distorts the justice, the doctrine of justification by faith, promoting the idea that I can save myself by obedience. Okay, that's, that's one way that you can use the term legalism. Do you see that? But in the evangelical church in the South, there's another way that the term is used. About, no, no, it's used that way all over, but it's describing so often the evangelical church in the South, of which we happen to be one. That is, we're part of the evangelical church in the South, I think. Um, and it's a legalism that doesn't distort the doctrine of justification, but distorts the doctrine of sanctification. There is a way to, dis- to be a legalist where you misunderstand the gospel entirely. But there is also a way to be a legalist where you misunderstand what it is to live out a relationship to Jesus Christ. Justification is a doctrine that tells you how you get right with God. Having gotten right with God through salvation by grace through faith alone, sanctification is the doctrine that tells you how it is that I'm supposed to live now that I do belong to Jesus Christ. And there is a distortion of this doctrine that shows up in the evangel- and elsewhere as well, but in the evangelical church in the South, and it is called legalism. But do you see those terms are being used differently? My little series here is not to address this one. It's to address this one. The, the, you know, you may have a, an evangelical heart, but still have a legalistic head. That is, you wouldn't dream of saying anything as stupid as, well, the way that you get into heaven is by you staying on the Shabbat elevator. I mean, you wouldn't dream of doing anything that stupid. And yet, there is within you this idea that, um, that I can earn God's favor if I'll just be a good little boy and good little girl now that I've accepted Christ. That is, God loves me more if I perform well. Now, I'm saying, as a Christian, you've got a distorted view, not of this doctrine, but of this one. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's killing us. It's just killing us. Particularly when you fail. And you think, oh, oh no. I, I thought that God's love for me was based on my performance, and now my performance is bad, which means mm, he doesn't love me anymore. It's a trap, ladies and gentlemen. It's a vicious, ugly, horrible trap. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, I want to try to uh, make sure that you avoid the trap, but I also want you to see the beauty of the provisions of Christ in the gospel for us as people who not only 
will fail, but did fail today. Can I say what Clowney said again? We're far more wicked than we ever dared admit. Do you know that about you? You know that about me? You're, you're far more wicked than you ever dreamed. But the gospel tells us that we're far more loved than we ever dared hope. And so, I don't get into the kingdom by my performance, and I don't stay in it by my performance. My value doesn't increase as my performance improves. Okay? Now, according to that clock back there, i got eight minutes. <clears throat> and I, I, I want, I, I'd like to go further, but the thing that I, one of my major things that I want to do tonight is read you something. And I know that reading is not good pedagogy. Uh, it's not good to read to people. Um, but I'd like to read you something. And this came from a very interesting source, a guy who used to be a Church of Christ pastor. His name's Max Lucado. Max Lucado was um, a Church of Christ. And if there's anyone guilty in the South of legalism, it is the Church of Christ. Oh, my. You know, it's interesting. Susie and I put together a new grace group every couple of years. And, you know, we just we pray about it some. And we, Susie said, Susie will say, well, what about them? I said, well, no, that's a good choice. And so I'll go invite them, you know. And anyway, so we just started a new grace group back in the fall. And, you know, mine goes two years, and then you're out the door. Uh, and then I get another. But it's amazing every year. And I don't know this. I don't know how it happens. But I'm telling you, I end up with some, some Church of Christ people. In, I mean, not, not one couple, not two couple. I mean, just a bunch of Church of Christ people in my grace group every time, which I love. But... Um, but anyway, I want to read you this. This is Max Lucado, who came from the Church of Christ. It's out of his book, uh, He Still Moves Storm, Stones. Stones. I want you to listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. To me, this is brilliant. And I don't qualify as brilliant, but this is... Um, <clears throat> legalism is a dark world. Perhaps you didn't know that. You may be reading with a puzzled expression asking... What is this story doing in this book, Max? I thought this was a book about Jesus meeting people at their point of pain. Nicodemus isn't hurting. He's got clout. He's got friends. He studies the Bible. He's not in pain, is he? If you ask that question, be thankful. If you have never known the crush of legalism, be grateful. You have been spared. Others of you haven't. Others of you could answer the above question better than I. Legalism is slow torture, suffocation of the spirit, amputation of one's dreams. Legalism is just enough religion to keep you, but not enough to nourish you. So you starve. Your teachers don't know where to go for food, so you starve together. Your diet is rules and standards. No vitamins, no taste, no zest, just bland, predictable religion. Reminds me of a group I was in as a youngster. When I was eight years old, I was a part of a boys' choir. We met two evenings a week for two hours. We wore blazers and sang at banquets. We even went on the road. 
Curiously, our instructor was an ex-drill sergeant. Before he ran a boys' choir, he ran a boot camp. And some of the previous spilled over into the latter. Every evening during rehearsals, we took a marching break. We'd go outside and march in formation. He gave the commands and we did the turn. Hut, two, three, four, hut, two, three, four. At first, I didn't question the practice. I didn't have the courage. I was intimidated by the man. Finally, I summoned enough guts to ask the kid beside me to explain the marching. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Where are we going? I don't know. No one did. For two years, we marched two nights every week. But no one knew where we were going, and no one knew why. We just knew that if we wanted to sing, we better stay in step. That's legalism. It's rigid. It's uniform. It's mechanical. And it's not from God. Can I give you the down and the dirty about legalism? Legalism doesn't need God. Legalism is, in the, is, in, is the search for innocence, not forgiveness. Oh, that is so blessed and profound. Legalism is the search for innocence, not forgiveness. It's a systematic process of defending self, explaining self, exalting self, and justifying self. Legalists are obsessed with self, not God. Legalism turns my opinion into your burden. There's only room for one opinion in this boat. And guess who's wrong? Legalism turns my opinion into your boundary. Your opposing opinion makes me question not only your right to have fellowship with me, but also your salvation. Legalism turns my opinion into your obligation. Christians must toe the company line. Your job isn't to think, it's to march. If you want to be in the group, stay in step. Don't ask any questions. And the ones who get to name the tune are the holy ones. And so my opinions become your obligations. You know, ladies and gentlemen, years ago, I, I, I got to tell you a little something. I, 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 I say this often, and, but for me, Jimmy Umloff is just a treasure. He's just a treasure. And then when he has a heart attack, I'm quitting. Um, because I don't know how to replace him. Um, but you know what? If I had to choose church music, it wouldn't be his. That's not my church music. That's not what I like. You know what I like? I like Roger McMurrin. I like that uh, 90 voices from Ukraine and, and uh, 47 pieces of orchestra and 17 violins and... And, and that big orchestral sound, 
That's who I am. But a lot of years ago, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of years ago, I made a determination. I was not going to hold you captive to my musical choices. So, that's what a legalist does, ladies and gentlemen. He names the rules and expects everybody else to obey them. And in his so doing, the soul starves. The life gets sucked out of you. But you look good. And that's the goal, ladies and gentlemen. It's not the goal of the gospel. But it's the goal of the legalist. We'll talk more about it. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will give me clarity of thought and um, uh, a, a, a skill that I don't naturally possess so that I might communicate the beauties of the, and the richness of the gospel. A gospel that um, is oftentimes too good to be true. The provisions are so profound. The forgiveness is so complete. The love is so high and wide and deep that we miss it. And in its place, we substitute rules, codes, behaviors, laws that are nowhere to be found in your word. Father, help us to discover... um, where the real laws are and to spit out all that is man-made. And uh, at the same time, to enjoy our position in Jesus Christ and to promote a gospel that is oh so beautiful. We uh, make our prayer, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ.